Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we're going to be doing it by going through Exodus. We've been going through Exodus for quite some time now. Uh, we try to get at least one chapter done each Sabbath, and uh, sometimes we get two. And we may start clipping along, but we're going to be starting to get into... Uh, Exodus twenty twenty one and the law, and there's so many things in the foundation of the law that people need to understand, you know, the meaning of words. And we have to realize that by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, back there in the days of Herod and the Pharisees controlling the government of Judea, that uh, many people were following the teachings of the Pharisees and even the Sadducees, which were quite different. But the Pharisees were literally at this point a political party in a theocratic uh, government that was at one time a republic, had degenerated into a kingdom uh, with Saul, and uh, we've added to a lot of our uh, documentation of exactly what was the matter w- in Samuel 8 where uh, we're told that the people wanted to have a wanted to have a central ruler who would govern them and fight their battles really what they wanted at the beginning was a commander in chief they wanted somebody to be the central authority over the army so that the army was not a scattered group of people. There was a network already existing that had created the army. It had gone when they had left the bondage of Egypt. They were already organized. They even got more organized. And they created the social bonds to strengthen that organization. And it was based on tens, hundreds, and thousands. At first, it was... uh, a combination of tens, hundreds, and thousands, tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, uh, where the people uh, helped one another when they gathered manna, when they shared the meat of the uh, of the herds that went with them. Those herds belonged to different people who were herdsmen. Other men were brickmakers. There wasn't much call for making bricks. They can't carry them with them. So there were lots of people who did not have herds, and yet herds were the source of a lot of the sustenance of the people as they continued through this system of moving through the desert in a mass number of people. So the herds that we they brought with them was a source of food. Like I said, if you were herdsmen, you would understand that, okay, you got cattle, you got sheep, some of them get old and they are going to not be producers anymore, and that's the ones you eat. Somebody just asked me the other day about, do we eat a lot of lamb? Because we raise sheep here out on the desert. And we almost never, ever, ever eat lamb. 
<laughs> I don't, I don't recall. I'm sure we've done it a couple of times, but uh, we almost never eat lamb. We eat older sheep, mutton. Uh, we also have a few beef cows, so we'll eat of the the beef cows, and that is. We'll eat the cow. We'll sell the calf because we can get more money for the calf than you can for the old cow. And so that's common. If you're a herdsman, you know that is standard operating procedure. And you eat the older ones that are not fruitful anymore so that you will stay alive because if you don't stay alive, the flock dies out. Your family dies out. And so now these people are moving in mass, thousands of people moving in mass, and, you know, we don't need any bricks. So the brickmakers, what do they do? Well, they probably are learning how to herd cattle. <laughs> They're probably learning how to herd sheep. They're probably, you know, they probably have wagons because they had to go get straw. They had to deliver bricks. So they had some means of transporting their commodity. Now they're transporting the supplies that they may need. Now, this may diminish as they go over lots of rocky ground and difficulties, but so do their supplies diminish. And, of course, that's why the manna came into play and other sources of meat, so they didn't uh, deplenish their herds. And But they are learning to work together and to settle disputes amongst themselves and to to work out what it means to be a people. But Moses is going to teach them how to be a peculiar people, a nation of kings and priests. And so we're going to see that step by step. We're seeing that they're they're moving together. They're literally walking night and day. They must have to stop for some rest, but they're traveling pretty fast. This is probably just, an, um, uh, you know, when you lay down, they don't even set up tents. They just drop where they're at and they sleep where they're at. And then they get up the next day and they're walking. They know the Egyptians are behind them. Eventually they get across the Red Sea and the Egyptians are no more. And they do this by the grace of God. They don't have to fight Pharaoh. They don't have to become, you know, they they were actually pulled back from fighting. And Pharaoh literally destroyed himself. We can say God destroyed Pharaoh well, God is the God of nature and some things happen and they happen miraculously at a certain time that allowed people to go and somehow God was in control of this. And But exactly how that works, we can only speculate. And it's not really the essential of the me- message. The essential of the message that if you follow the leading of Yahweh, the existing one, the Holy Spirit, then things may take place that will end up protecting you. If you don't follow the Holy Spirit, that divine revelation, that that connection we have to the will of God, if we don't follow that, if we reject that, and we go our own way, we make our own decisions to decide what is good and evil for ourselves like Pharaoh was doing and the men of Pharaoh, then somebody will tell you to charge and you will charge and you may charge like into the valley of death. Rode the 600 chariots or thousands of chariots. And they killed themselves because they would not listen to God 
because they were too busy listening to somebody else who had become a God to them. He had become a God to them because he signed their paychecks, because he brought order to their disordered society. Now the Israelites don't have that order of the Pharaoh anymore. They're going to have to figure out how to order themselves. They're going to have to organize themselves. Now, they, there will be some Israelites that want to organize themselves according to the teachings of Dathan and the teachings of others that are amongst them. And they're going to try to set up the central power again. And, but no, Moses wants the power to be in your hands. And that means that the treasury of the nation of Israel is in the purses and pockets of every individual family living in Israel. They, they're, we're going to see things like slavery. Well, we had slavery in Egypt, but it was governmental slavery where 20% of your labor belonged to the Pharaoh. And now you don't have that. You know, theoretically, 20% of everybody's labor belonged to Moses because Moses was the rightful Pharaoh. Took Moses. He was the rightful took Moses. But he didn't want to rule over the people. He wanted them to learn to let God rule over their hearts and their minds. Well, that's not an easy task. Because it takes things that are beyond the power of Moses. He can't force them to do it. They have to choose to do it. Because the kingdom of God is a system of voluntarism. It is the original volunteeristic society. Where everybody chooses to do the right thing for everybody else. This is what why love thy neighbor is so important. So, we're going to see how he step-by-steps introduces this concept of a free society in this chaotic group of people that are torn away, kicked out of Egypt, kicked out of their comfort zone, and are taken out into the wilderness and have to survive. And they're going to see what we would call miracles, and yet they're still... The answer, they'll forget the miracles. Still, the answer goes deep down into their heart. So, as they travel into the desert, into the wilderness, they're also on another trip traveling into the wilderness of their own hearts and minds. Just before the program began, we heard more news stories about AI. Will we be able to create sentient beings? Well, no. You will not be able to create sentient beings. (laughs) Because you cannot, even if you open the doors at CERN, or, or whatever they are trying to do, you cannot take the kingdom of heaven by force. You cannot access that upper realm we call the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. You cannot access that by force any more than you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. So you can go to the door of the kingdom of God and you can knock on the door, but it has to be open from the other side. 
just a little heads up on that. Evidently, the guys at CERN haven't figured that out. Then I mentioned CERN partly because I, I had a recent interview with an atheist, and we've put the whole interview up on our YouTube channel at His Holy Church uh, YouTube channel. And uh, you can find links to that at Preparing You and links to that at uh, at our YouTube channel. And we will probably put it on other social medias as well and spread it around so you can see it. I'm also, I have another interview that we did actually a couple of years ago. And I'm going to put that up eventually. But if you join the network at Preparing You or at HisHolyChurch.org, you go to the network links and you get on that network. You will be a part of an email system, and hopefully that will help you become a part of the living network, which is what all the Israelites were doing out there in the desert. They were becoming a part of a living network, and they were going to sit down in this tens, hundreds, fifties, and thousands, the same as uh, Jesus was explaining in Mark uh, six that 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 his ministers were commanded to make the people do this because that will be absolutely necessary. It was necessary for Moses to do this, and he didn't just start doing it with Jethro. They had already started doing it before Jethro, but Jethro was helping them do it so that they would have a judicial system, which eventually we will see. God set up what he calls a place, which will be also called the cities of refuge, where there will be an appeals court system throughout this whole nation. And your uh, appellates, your judges up there on that appeals court system will be men of charity, men who have spent a lifetime caring about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves. They weren't making laws for society. They weren't trying to control society. They weren't trying to exercise authority over society. But their judicial system was to create mercy in their nation whereby you could be acquitting people. The upper judicial, they weren't legislating new laws. They were a They had the power of acquittal. That power of acquittal was all the way down in the hands of the individual heads of families through the process of a jury system where somebody might be found guilty. Maybe they suspect him of negligent homicide. Or maybe they even suspect that it was premeditated murder. We'll get into that and explain how that comes about in uh, Exodus 21. But that was going to be the job of the jury to decide the fact and law. The law was already set by the law of nature. But how that law applies in this particular case depends upon your understanding of the facts and the people and the motives and all this stuff. And so we'll see Moses literally setting up a judicial system that is rooted in the hands of the people, hopefully rooted in the hearts and minds of the people, if they follow all these other things that Moses is going to lay down. And I am shocked sometimes when I listen to scholars talking about this idea, and they don't have not made the connections uh, 
to the fact that the Bible is about government. You know, like I say, it only mentions religion five times, the word religion five times. And, And most of the time, it's in a derogatory sense. It's not good religion. He's talking about bad religion. There's only one time where they really talk about good religion. And that's pure religion. And we have an article on that, and you can go read that. But religion is a part of being that nation because religion is a part of being the social welfare system of a nation. Religion is how you fulfill your duty to love your neighbor as yourself. And again, also following along with the uh, Jordan Peterson podcast, I try to listen to a little bit of it uh, when I'm doing a particular chapter of Exodus to see what their opinions are. And one of the things that was brought up is... uh, their opposition, at least uh, Dennis Prager's opposition, and sort of Jordan Peterson's opposition to unconditional love. And it depends on how you mean unconditional love. Because most people, when they talk about unconditional love, in my experience, they're not even talking about love. They're talking about unconditional affection. You know, the, the, they said, well, I just love you as you are. No. Uh, that's, that's most of the time, that's often coming from women. <laughs> Not to pick on women, but it's often coming from women because they sometimes are more subject because of the hormonal structure of women as opposed to the hormonal structure of men. Both of them are subject to the same problem. But you see it more often in women because of your sight, not because of women, that their emotional love is an affectionate love. It's a caring love. It you know, it requires that you feed your children, that you take care of your children, that you take care of your husband. Now, the husband takes care of his family too, but he does it by protecting his family. And by providing for his family, so his wife becomes the redistributor of the food that he brings home. And they're working as a team. And both of them are subject to this confusion about unconditional love. That you, you need to protect, you need to provide, you need to nurture your family. And each of those jobs are overlapping. And they're both shared by husband and wife working as a team. But you, you will at times send your children to bed without dinner. <laughs> or, or, or something along that line. Hopefully. You know, if your kids are throwing a fit because they don't want to eat a certain food, then you say, you could, you could run over and say, well, here you can have this. Oh, I don't want that. Oh, you here you can have this, and but I don't want that. And so you think it's unconditional love until you get down to they only want to eat chocolate and hostess Twinkies if they can find them. I guess they don't exist anymore. But uh, uh, no, that's not, you, you don't give your child everything they want. That is not love. You can call it unconditional love. I love them anyway. I'll give them whatever they want. You know, I will cater to them. I will try to make them happy because I love them so much. No. You want to make them strong. You want to make them independent. 
You want to make them wise. And occasionally, as I talked about in the video, this requires that you are indifferent to their whining. Because their whining is not a good thing. And you say, I don't care what you want. I know what's good for you, and this is what you're going to get. And if you don't like it, you're not getting anything else. Because I'm not going to cater to your selfishness. Now, Moses has to do the same thing times hundreds of thousands of people. (laughs) He should not be catering to their whims. He has to be putting the responsibility of being priests and kings on the people. Down at the very grassroots level. The very individual family level. He has to put that responsibility back on them. And you can only do that in a voluntary society. Which is what Moses is going to be teaching the people. And so... Yeah, their discussion on in Exodus uh, in their Exodus series, uh, chapter eight, version eight. Uh, I I was shocked. I was shocked that they didn't quite get it. Although Jordan Peterson kind of jumped back and forth there a little bit because it's a question of defining what is, and they even said it. I don't necessarily think people always know what love is, and that is absolutely the case. Now, why this is also important here, and why I'm going to mention it at this particular time, is what killed the Pharaoh and his men was God's unconditional love. He, you know, you do the same thing with a small child. You know, I've done it with my children, I've done it with my grandchildren, you know, where I, you know, I somewhat teasingly, I says, well, you can do that if you want, but my experience is, is that's too dangerous and you'll probably cut your finger off and so therefore uh, you'll end up bleeding all over and there'll be blood all over the floor and then I'll have to clean it up and you'll just be making more work for me. And, you know, And as I'm describing the scene of their blood shooting out everywhere, they said... Maybe I better think twice about playing with this dangerous thing. <laughs> they don't. I remember when I gave my youngest son his first pocket knife. He was going on a trip all the way back to the Midwest uh, with his mother on a train. And I gave him a pocket knife for his journey. And I handed it to him, making a memory. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you this pocket knife. But... It does not come with band-aids. So you're going to have to be responsible and make sure you don't cut yourself. Well, sure enough, when he got to his uncle's house in the Midwest, he cut himself with his knife, showing it to his cousin. (laughs) But fortunately, his uncle had band-aids. But he realized he has kinds of... I wasn't giving him a gun. I was giving him a pocket knife, a little tiny pocket knife. And he had to learn to be safe with that little pocket knife. And so this is a little bit what Moses is going to be doing with the people. He's going to give them pieces of responsibilities. Well, welcome back 
two keys to the kingdom. So Moses is going to be doing the same thing with the people of Israel. He's going to be giving them pieces of responsibility. He's going to limit what they can do with it. Uh, and he's going to say, okay, you you want to do this, you want to explore this particular avenue of society, this particular practice of society, you can do it, but I'm going to give you parameters in which to do it to limit what you can do and what you can't do, but I'm going to be doing it in a way to try to show you the principles and precepts of God's kingdom. And this is so they're now going to be judges on an individual family basis and on a community basis based on this structure of ten, ten families coming together. Ten families coming together is virtually what we called earlier in the Old Testament altars of clay. Because we're all made of clay. So when we gather together in these altars of clay, we are in a particular position to make judgments. How we treat one another. How we were to let one another treat one another. Etc. And we would make decisions to shun somebody in our own congregation. And we may let them stay into the congregation, but we're going to say we disapprove. We have to make it clear how we disapprove of what you've done. And if you don't try to make recompense, we'll be talking about that eventually, there's going to be an accountability held against you. So that you may be excluded from our congregation altogether. Of course, you can go join another congregation in Israel because there's every ten people you got another congregation. But there's actually going to be suggestion that they're not going to even let you receive from any congregation within the within this system, this voluntary system, because what you've done has been so egregious, and they're going to take it to the other altars which are the altars of stone, which, of course, if you've looked at our our renditions and our explanations and our audios and videos on altars of stone, you'll know that the altars of stone were actual people. They were living altars from the beginning. By the time that Jesus came along, many of the Judeans did not think that way in, in actual practice. They thought that altars of stone were actually piled up stones. Even amongst the Pharisees, they knew that that was not the case and they had the structure in place. But they started unmooring the meaning of the metaphors from that true spiritual meaning and turning it into rituals where they were actually turning the metaphors into idols. And and causing the people to go back into the bondage of Egypt while they thought they were free. All of Israel, all of Judea, which was the remnant of Israel at that time, was going back into the bondage of Egypt. But they thought they were still a free nation. But we see, we'll we'll explain them. There's so many passages that explain this process that it's unbelievable. But Jesus knew this. There were a few other groups like the Essenes. They could kind of see this going on. But they had a completely different interpretation of the Torah 
than the Pharisees and certainly the Sadducees and many of the Zealots. They had a different interpretation. Their their voluntary society ran almost entirely on actual charity, while the society of Judea, under the authority of Herod, was now more and more and more depending upon what is called legal charity which is charity by the state. It's where men who exercise authority one over the other take from one portion of society to provide for another portion of society. That's legal charity. That's bound charity. Legal comes from a Latin word that means to bind. And that's a different kind of religion. That's public religion. Public religion is about binding you to the performance of a duty. And you can actually be penalized if you don't perform that duty. Now, I've said all this many times before, but I'm saying it in a little bit different way to see if you can catch it. You may have to go to the articles like uh, we have Exodus 19 up on preparing you. And you can go there and there will be links in this. I've already got a recording up on Exodus 19. Uh, that I did in an afternoon show last week that kind of introduces this to you because we're moving from a state where all the people of Israel were merchandised to Pharaoh because, and they had become merchandised because of their covetous practices concerning their brother. One brother, they coveted their brother's position in the family and they sold him into slavery. So they went into slavery. Which is why the Pharaoh soldiers went into the Red Sea and were drowned. Because they didn't care about their neighbors who had already made it across. They only cared about their service and loyalty and allegiance to Pharaoh. And they could not see that what they were doing was evil. And so they desired to kill the Israelites But they themselves were killed because the law of cause and effect is driven by the love of God. Now, when I handed that knife to my son and said it doesn't come with band-aids, I was explaining to him he was going to have to take the responsibility. I also had a premonition that he would cut himself, although that's not, that's not very, uh, Impressive because almost every kid cuts himself with at least one knife when he's little (laughs) or one sharp thing that he's playing with until he learns, I don't want to do that again. (laughs) I have scars on my hands myself. But now you're dealing with a whole nation. This is life and death for a lot of people. But we're trying to awaken a part of the soul of those people and you cannot awaken it by force. So he's going to try to awaken it by circumstances. And we're going to see that as we go through chapters 19, 20, 21. And hopefully the rest of Exodus. But we'll, we'll start with Exodus 19. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of that land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. And remember now. Part of this message is they're also going to be going into the wilderness of their own hearts. They're going to have to look into their own hearts. For they were departed from Rephidim, which is also symbolic 
of the journey into your own heart and mind. Something AI cannot do. And where come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness and there Israel camped before the mount. So they're all camped there before the mount. Now there might be some tents amongst them, but they're not well equipped as an entire nation yet. They've been a lot of times at the beginning just sleeping on the ground as they were going, kind of dropping where they're at. And uh, nothing like walking for 12 hours to allow you to sleep in almost any kind of bed whatsoever. <laughs> and so anyway, Moses went up unto God. Now we have a word there, Elohim. And the Lord, that's another word. Yahweh, Yadavahe, is the existing one. This is another word. This is not the same as God. Now, it may be the same as God, but ye also are gods according to Jesus. God is a office. It's a title. It's a ruling judge. So he went up to the ruling judge. Where did he go? What, what did he do? And the Lord, Yahweh, called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. These are two different things. He's describing the house of Jacob and the children of Israel. Now, the house of Jacob is this bloodline from Jacob, the, the highest father of this civilization that is before them. Now, the only people that are there are not of the house of Jacob except by adoption because Egyptians have come with them and amongst their crowd are Egyptians. But when they came with them, they were sort of adopted in to this nation because this house of Jacob now belongs to Moses. And so they would probably be included in that idea of the house of Jacob. But the children of Israel may not include the house of Jacob. It may only include those children who contend with El, with Elohim, with God, who also can go up unto Elohim, up unto God, and contend with God. Now, if the God of heaven is a God of love, when you go up to talk to the God of love, the God of heaven, you have to contend with his unconditional love. He's not going to tolerate your nonsense, your selfishness, your greed, your all these things we call vice. He's only going to speak to your virtue, but his... This is the amazing thing. I've told people before, you don't cast out demons with hate. You cast out demons with love. That Love is a utility. It's a power. And that power of love is literally the love, the virtue of God. All those good characteristics of God. All of them. You know, you can be courageous, but you can also be selfish. But no, God has both courage and and abundance coming towards you in all those virtues all the time. And that's love. It's all the light spectrum. It's not just the reds and the greens and the blues. It's all of it. 
Well, if you don't want to accept all of it, if you want to encourage in yourself selfishness or encourage in yourself cowardice or encourage in yourself self-preservation over the preservation of life itself, then you're going to reject some of that light. And and this is why Moses even tells you, Jesus even tells you, that when you love your enemy, it's like hot coals on his head. Because it's a burning fire in you. You, you, I mean, I guess give you all kinds of literature stories where evil hates good. It hates good because it doesn't have good in it and good hurts it. When it sees good, they despise a virtuous man. They want to condemn a virtuous man. And your only defense against that is, is that love of God. You have to let it in. And so this is this is the journey that they're really on here, and we're describing that journey through events there at Mount Sinai. That are actually going to physically manifest themselves. So in verse five, or let's go back to verse four. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenants, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, and all the earth is mine. So, all creation is God's. And so, he's he's talking about, you know, Obey my voice indeed and keep my covenants. That's two things. So it's actually talking about in spirit and truth. You can't just perform the outward acts of what we're going to see as the Ten Statements, Ten Commandments. You have to have them written in your heart and your mind. And then you, you're not going to fall prey to what the armies of Egypt fell prey to. You won't be rushing into a war that you have no business fighting. You won't be seducible because you'll see the evil and what's around you. People aren't seeing that. And they're not seeing it because we've had several generations seeking after legal charity rather than the fervent charity of God. And this creates a void in you. And that void hates the light. You don't want to admit it. That in the United States and Australia and all these countries, for over a generation now, we've been coveting our neighbor's goods through the agency of the state, which is public religion. We call it legal charity, public religion. It is contrary to the will of God. And, but... So many people who think that they're born again, they don't love that light of that truth. Because they're not really born again. They don't want to see it. And so, I'm only walking around it, talking about it, showing it to you. You have to make the journey within your own heart. And th- this is partly what this these chapters are going to be about. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So this is just 
Yahweh explaining when Moses went to Elohim what he's going to need to say. So he's getting a picture as he's up there praying before the Elohim, the ruling judge of the universe, and hearing from Yahweh, the existing one, who is one with Elohim in this sense. But see, there are God's many, so whenever we see the word Elohim, it's not always Yahweh. (laughs) It may be somebody else, and they try to show you that with a small g and capital G. I don't know that they get it right all the time, but hopefully we'll get it right with the Holy Spirit. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their face all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said... All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. Now, we don't know what this thick cloud is. We can draw a picture in our mind of a big cloud. You know, is it a white cloud? Is it like a rain cloud? Is it, or is it even a cloud? It's the symbolism that they share with us and they give to us. But, uh, we have to be careful about our own personal artist's rendition of these pictures that are, are only described with words, and we may not know what that actually looks like. But the elders now are the heads of families. This is what the elders are. And they, because they're organized, there are heads of families who pick someone to represent them. It's a representative type government, but the power still remains with the people. They're only representing them so that because if you took every elder, every head of every family, this is basically going to be a lot of old men that are have sons and, and maybe grandsons who have families of their own. Each of those sons and grandsons are elders, but they're not the elder of the whole family. The whole family is this whole family group. And it's very important to understand this because this is the foundation. Family is the foundation of God's government. And... But it's only families who are actually taking that journey into their own hearts and souls and their minds. And sometimes that takes a lot of time. So it ends up being in the hands of the eldest father of a family. But Moses came and called to those elders and spoke these words to him, to them. And then they, of course, went back and told the other elders because they, they didn't have megaphones. So this is the way in which they pass this information down. And, but all the people consented that they will do this. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in this thick cloud. So now there's this thick cloud. But we don't know exactly what that looks like. And we don't need to know exactly. And when we need to know, God will show us. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. So... Somehow or other, Moses is communicating 
to this thick cloud. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them to day and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Now, washing their clothes is again symbolic. Now, they probably really did wash their clothes and they go through this physical ritual, but it was really more that they were going to be that your clothes cover your nakedness. And so nakedness means you lack authority. And when uh, we have a whole article up on nakedness, uh, that when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, tried to decide for themselves what is good and evil using their brain instead of the revelation of the Holy Spirit, which is over there in the tree of life, they realized they didn't have that authority, that they were naked. Now, did they? were they actually naked? It, maybe. Uh, it's a story. It's an allegory. All the words in Hebrew, almost every single word in Hebrew has a physical, you know, that is dealing with a noun where it's a physical thing, have a spiritual one. We saw that with leaven. We see that with altars. We see that with stones. We see that with kidneys. We see that with livers and hearts. You know, the word for liver and heart, they have another meaning other than liver and heart. We do that still to this day. We say that guy has a lot of heart. We're not talking about the size of the organ in his chest. We're talking about his compassion. But in the Hebrew language, that is really strong and you need that in order to create the metaphors and the allegories of these stories. So when he's saying to go down there and sanctify yourself, we see a particular word there, Kadesh, uh, which is translated sanctify 108 times in the King James Bible, but it's also translated hollow, but it is also translated dedicate or consecrate or even a point, or purify. So, they're going, for a couple of days, they're going to try to consecrate their heart their, and their minds. And, 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 and in that process, they're going to be washing their clothing, both spiritually and physically, probably. You know, they've been journeying. Their, their clothes probably need washing. So, but Moses will maybe have them go right through the ritual of washing the clothing. But the key thing is that you have to sanctify your heart. You have to focus, you know, what do you, you, you just made an agreement that you're going to abide by what Moses is presenting, you know, these, what Moses is going to be telling them. And you need to take that into consideration. The same, because making that agreement is like my son taking that pocket knife. I'm handing it to him and I'm putting a condition on it. I'm giving him a warning with it. So he has to consider that importance. And I'm saying, you know, that this doesn't come with band-aids. You can hurt yourself with this. And he's taking it from me knowing that warning is in place. And so this is what the Israelites are doing. They're, they're, they're going to be, they're given this freedom 
Moses isn't going to rule over them. But they have to realize there's a danger with this. There's a warning to this. So you really have to try to find out what all these eventual statutes of Moses and 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 uh, ordinances of Moses are really trying to tell you. And and the only way to do that is through the Holy Spirit. You're not going to do it through the tree of knowledge. So this is why you have to sanctify yourself. And be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about saying, Take heed to yourself that ye go not up into the mount or touch the borders of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death. Now we might think of that as some sort of punishment put to death, but it may not be meant as a punishment that you'll be put to death. Anyway, we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're in verse 13. There shall not a hand touch it, talking about the mountain, but he should surely be stoned or shot through. Now, both that word stoned and shot through, that has to, those are metaphors again. They're not, there's not going to be rocks shooting down from the mountain, hitting them in the head. It doesn't say you're supposed to stone them. But it's talking about there's a danger involved. It's a little bit like me telling my son, this doesn't come with band-aids, but this could hurt you. So don't be getting too close to the mountain. Because it could hurt you bad, even unto death. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. So somebody's going to come up on the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and to, to sanctify and sanctified the people and they washed their clothing. Again, this is not just about cloth. This is about your covering, your, you know, your own mental excuses and your own mind and your own ideologies and your own theologies and all this stuff. You're going to set those aside because most of those were created by the tree of knowledge. By what you decided was true or not. You're going to have to set all that aside and kind of become like a little child again. So, Because you're going to hear from God here and uh, you need to be really clean your act up. You need to get focused. You need to be aware. You know, when I handed that little pocket knife to him, he was going to have to learn to be focused. I think he's probably cut himself a few times on a lot of other sharp things, but he has learned to be more and more cautious, more and more protective of the dangerous things that he does. And he does a lot of dangerous things in his work. And 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 he is learned Back there at the beginning. I mean, you learn it when you first begin to walk. You realize that now that I stand up, I can fall. <laughs> so, so this is, Moses is telling the people that you're now embarking on a big event here. So need to be really focused and wash their clothes. And he even says in verse 15 to the people, be ready against the third day. 
Come not at your wives. In other words, this is introducing a little bit of fasting. You know, fasting from your personal passions and desires and realizing that this is important. It all, even rabbinical baptism, I mean, baptism of John was not a new thing. The, the message of the baptism of John was that you are not going to be going to men who exercise authority one over the other, which is what all the rabbis had become who were working through the temple set up by Herod, both the, the temple uh, that he set up uh, in Jerusalem and the temple of Roma, which he also built along the same lines. The priests of those temples redistributed wealth to the needy of society but the treasury was filled with forced offerings, not voluntary offerings. And now Moses is going to go to the voluntary offerings and show them how this works, where you take your responsibility back for yourselves. So there's this is really a big thing, and he's saying, so you got to have to focus, you set aside, you know, start cleaning up your act, start looking at, you know, getting rid of all the theologies that you picked up when you're in Egypt and, and real, this is really going to be an important thing. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. So there was a loud noise, we call it a trumpet, because that's how they made loud noises in those days. And uh, But it was a voice of the trumpet, exceedingly loud, this sound. And people were getting kind of afraid. They had never seen anything like whatever they were seeing. Now again, be careful of drawing pictures. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And again, that's the word Elohim. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. Because the Lord, Yahweh again, descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked greatly. So there was some sort of vibration going on. There was this other, you know, you already had this uh, thick cloud, but now you have this new descending of something that is like fire and smoke. And artists can go hog wild on trying to draw a picture of it. But it ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked. 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. Now this is God, Elohim. They're putting this Elohim in one place, Lord in another place for a particular reason. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount. And Moses went up. So Moses... We know pretty much where Mount Sinai is. And, of course, people talk about all the rocks on the top of Mount Sinai being covered in black or like they were burnt black. And you can turn the rock over and it doesn't appear to be black. Now, did the sun do that over thousands of years or was there an event up there? You know, I couldn't tell you for sure. 
But it, I can't even tell you for sure that that is Mount Sinai because there's more than one location that people think was Mount Sinai. But that you can get distracted by trying to solve those problems and not realize that you have to look into your own heart. Look into the mountain that you are on or surrounding that is living by the leaven of the Pharisees. And do you want to go to the the mountain of God and live by righteousness? Because these are the metaphors that are at play here. And so, anyway, the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai in the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze and many of them perish. Well, that word breakthrough, uh, actually it, it can mean, it's translated throw down about 13 times, break down nine times, overthrow five times, destroy four times, pull down, breakthrough, ruin. So what exactly does it mean? Well, I'll leave it to the Holy Spirit to tell you exactly what that means. But we'll see that word in other places as well. And sometimes they add letters. 22. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break through upon them. Now the priests, these are the guys that are redistributing the wealth of society and Clearly under Moses, they do it through the free will offerings of the people that share. Many societies use free will offerings of the people in order to accomplish this. Um, so, but we see this word, uh, which come near. So it's the priests which come near. Do all the priests come near? Or just some of the priests come near? And the word near, there's two different words that can end up meaning near. This one is Nagash, which uh, can mean come near. And I'm pointing it out now. We'll talk more about it at a later time. But uh, what we're seeing here is this setting this scene that is both spiritual and physical. It is, it is full of metaphors. And you, if you just get caught up in the vision, and that's one of the things about people drawing a picture of what they think it looked like, that can distract you from what the real message is. is about sanctification of the heart. Opening your heart so that you can actually go up to God in your heart and your mind. And he will communicate with you. So what you're really trying to get back to is the tree of life. Which is the Holy Spirit that God breathed into us. And our access to that Holy Spirit was through this tree of life. And that was a source of revelation to us. And, and some people still have that a little bit, but you want it a lot. The, the Egyptian soldiers who ran down into the, the Red Sea there, uh, they were not listening to the Holy Spirit. They were not listening to divine revelation. They had made men gods, and those men sent them into battle, and they sent them to destruction, and they went down because their hearts were not... Uh, were full of vengeance. 
and supposedly to the man. I always wonder if there wasn't somebody who, you know, whose wheel broke down and he couldn't make it out there, you know, something went wrong with his chariot and he had to stop and try to fix it and everybody else ran out ahead of him and he never made it down there and God spared him. <laughs> so, you know, that that is a possibility. So, we got, and the Lord said to Moses, go down and charge the people, lest they break through, whatever that word breakthrough means. Unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And it's a back to, they, they may surely die. You know, be stoned, be shot through. You know, they say shot through with arrows in places. But, uh, you can equate it a little bit to this as a metaphor to, you know, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, the Nazis were all going to open up the Lost Ark <laughs> and see what was inside. And they didn't prepare enough to do that. And so he, t- he tells the girl and him tied to the post, if I remember the movie right, to close their eyes. And, of course, these things come out and they look so beautiful but then all of a sudden they shoot through the guys and they kill the guys and they melt the guys and they, you know, scare the guys and all that kind of stuff. That That's that's a movie. So let's not get carried away with a picture. But the reality is the true love of God, most people can't handle. So he doesn't give it to you all at once. But evidently something's going on on this mountain where that love of God, which is the utility, it is actual force and power, is up there. And it's up there for a reason. And he's going to be speaking to some of the people. But he's going to be, let the priests also which come near to the Lord, which is not all the priests, sanctify themselves too, lest the Lord break through upon them. So they're still vulnerable. Because there's many levels to the sanctification. There's many levels to the understanding. You want God to reveal himself to you. You're looking into a realm you're not ready for. So what Moses is going to be teaching the people is a outward practice to help you make that inward journey so that you can receive the light of the Lord. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai For thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain, and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron, with thee. But let not the priests of the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. Now, let's ask a question here. It says, not the priests and the people break through. But before he was talking about the priests who come near sanctify themselves, dedicate themselves. So, you're dealing with thousands of people. They're all at different levels of understanding. They're all at different levels of commitment. They're all saying, yeah, we're going to do it your way. We're going to follow your instructions. We know that Shortly thereafter, they're all breaking the rules. They're not necessarily all breaking the rules, but many of them are, and not doing what they should be doing. Some will see more clearly, and those who see more clearly will eventually become the Levites. But 
In verse 3, so we say, went up to God and the Lord. Just a quick review. It went up to God, Elohim, and the Lord, Yahweh, called unto him. So those are two different things that are going on. Now, we're all gods because we're all ruling judges over something. I was making my son a ruling judge over this knife. <laughs> he was he was going to have to use it and rule over it. If he would lose control of it or leave it laying around so some baby picked it up and cut himself, he was going to be responsible. But for the time being, he this was his knife to use as he saw fit. And he was this was a little thing, it was a little tiny knife. But he was going to have to learn how to use it wisely. God's going to give lots of things, lots of gifts to the people, but they're going to have to learn how to use it wisely. So Elohim is, is, is translated more than one way. Elohim in the Bible, the same word Elohim, the Lord called this Kara, cried or proclaimed to Moses to say these things. So Yahweh is telling them, Telling Moses to proclaim these things. Warn the people. Just as God was telling me to warn my son. You can get cut. This is sharp. This is how it works. The house of Jacob. But tell, not God, make known to the children of Israel. So there's, there's things that he proclaims and there are other things that he is trying to make known to you. So these are, it's different. It's not. Making known to you is more than just intellectually knowing something, knowing words. And this is why you'll see me, if you watch the interview with the the atheist who was interviewing me on the, the video that I just mentioned at the beginning of the show, he was trying to get me to consent to certain words and phrases that he would say, it says in the Bible, but it's actually the doctrines of men. Although you'll find sometimes similar phrases. But it isn't the phrase. It isn't the words. It isn't, they're not magic chants. Uh, making known the meaning of the words is more important. And that, to really know it, you need to know it in your heart and in your mind, not just in your mind. You need to know the law, you need to know the laws of God in your heart and in your mind. And so this is why Moses is using these different words that seem to be, you know, say, or proclaim, or tell, but the, but this one word for tell actually means to make known to the children of Israel. That's those who actually want to contend with God and are not just going through the motions and the rituals and are very low in consciousness like the other people. They're not that way. So to say is a part of this Hebrew phrase saying, thou shalt... Thou say, both the limor and tomor are said to be from the root word amar, but in the text appears as lamed elef mem resh and tav elef mem resh. And there's, there's a reason why they're adding these extra letters. And it, it's, it's, you could, I could go through, try to spell it all out. Word by word, letter by letter, but I included on our webpage so that you just start contemplating this idea. Why they put a letter Tav in there. Now some will tell you that it's just syntax, 
But actually, the Tav, the Yod is the divine spark. The Tav is the letter of faith. And they're slipping them in the middle of a word or at the beginning or putting a Vav at the beginning and then the Tav. And they're all trying to express a unique idea. Because the kingdom of God is unique. And the people who are part of that kingdom are unique. They are going to be keepers of the commandment. They're not going to be coveting thy neighbor's goods. They've got a lot of old habits where they have justified this and the leaven of the Pharisees, which is the cruelty of the Pharisees, the oppression of your neighbor, the forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. All these things alter you spiritually. It makes parts of your mind and your heart you will not go into. They are a dangerous wilderness to you. But if you're going to take back your responsibilities as the true faithful of God and start caring about your neighbor, you got into this because you didn't care about your neighbor. You actually even coveted your neighbor's goods. You wanted somebody else to take from your neighbor so you could have free education, free health care, somebody take care of my parents, all this stuff. No, you have to go back the other way. The only way to go back the other way is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start learning what it means to sacrifice like Christ for others, to lay down your life for others. When you do that, you will be sanctifying your heart and your mind so that when the love of God comes to you, it will not pierce you through like an arrow, but it will warm you. It will not be like a hot coal. It will warm and guide you in the wisdom of God. You see, because God's love to those who will receive the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, will awaken your being and nurture your being. If you will not see the error of your own ways, you will not confess them to yourself and willing to admit them to others, the love of God will be like a hot coal, like a piercing arrow, like a stone around your neck. It will destroy you. You can't go up on the mountain until you sanctify your heart to actually do the will of God. They said they were going to do whatever Moses said. We know they didn't. You probably say you want to do the will of the Father, but are you? I'm commanded, if I am a disciple of Christ, a minister of Christ, to make you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And we'll see later that when people do contrary to the will of God, injure their neighbor, hurt their neighbor, rob their neighbor, even kill their neighbor, that they are to be excluded from this unique club uh, where your social welfare can come from. You're not, if you're excluded, you're, you're, you're not going to find any more manna. You're, the, the, the quail are not going to come into your camp. You're going to have to go to the gods of the world and pray at their altars to get your aid and sustenance. The longer you put off sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and starting to learn how to deal with this little dangerous pocket knife (laughs) 
of gathering together. It's hard. Somebody actually on Facebook said, most people don't know how to give charity. He had read my, uh, or I don't think he actually read it. Uh, he, he, he started reading it, but he said, he said he knew where it was going. And then he started telling me all the stuff that was not in the article. And he's even making references to quotes that were not in the article. He didn't actually tell me what quotes, but he said Corinthians. I never quoted Corinthians in that article at this time, at that time. But he didn't read it. He assumed that he knew where I was going with it. Well, I corrected him. I said, you didn't get it. You didn't know where I was going and you didn't get the article. And, you know, I kind of chided him, uh, if I may use that word from Moses. But he, uh, he ended up liking my comeback where I told him you didn't get it. <laughs> That's not what I was saying. God, Moses, Jesus Christ, has all, all the prophets have always condemned legal charity. It isn't the way you're supposed to do it. It leads you into bondage. It makes you merchandise. It curses your children eventually. And so, yeah, you're not supposed to depend upon legal charity of 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 men who exercise authority. The dainties of the king. Just over and over and over and over again in the Bible it's telling you this. When you sit and eat with a ruler, put a knife to your throat. Don't don't do that. Don't eat with a ruler. Well you're gonna need to eat somewhere. So you need to gather in the tens, hundreds and thousands to start preparing yourself so that when the love of God appears on whatever Mount Sinai you happen to be near, you're not pierced through. It's not going to be like hot coals on your head. you got to let go of your strong delusion. And that's a little scary. But that's what Moses is trying to tell you. That's what I'm trying to share with you. Now, therefore, if we will obey, if that ye will obey my voice indeed. Many think today, this is in verse 5, that you do not have to obey, but just believe. There's no precedent for that in the Bible in the New Testament. Jesus said, not those who say they believe, but those who do it the will of the Father. You have to do the will of the Father. You don't earn it. It's still going to come by grace. You're not going to earn it. But if you want to be a kingdom of priests, that's what you have to do. Is that you have to start taking back your responsibilities. Not just for yourself. You know, and out in your cabin in the woods, in your hideaway, in your refuge in the woods somewhere. But you have to care about others. And if you, that's why you gather together. It's not right that you be alone. You need to gather together to become that holy nation. And, and then you may, you, you may be blessed by God. But that grace come more abundant when the people come together to bless one another. So, again, you know, like I said in verse 7, you can look up, I have links there on the page so you can read about elders. And uh, we'll have to get into this a little bit more when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, we'll probably go to a break here in a second. But we're supposed to be a nation of kings and priests. How do we get there? How, how do we get there from here to become that nation of kings and priests? And I've been adding to our page on kings and priests and priests. What is a priest? And, and you know, got people thinking all kinds of things. But we'll go through that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. 
welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we were doing the review of this 19, and I'm, when I did the first uh, show in the afternoon last week uh, that covered a little bit of 19, we we read through a little bit of it, but basically I'm trying to set a scene. This show, at the beginning of it, I'm trying to show you that the, there's a constant metaphor in this story on a spiritual level, at the same time, on a physical level, when they're washing their clothes, they're actually washing their inner hearts. Just the same as circumcision is not about a piece of flesh cut off of you. It's the circumcision of the heart that even Moses tells us is the most important thing. And that circumcision of the heart comes when we lay down our life for our fellow man. Now, we don't lay, we don't have to jump on our grenade. We may lay down our life a little bit at a time. And so there's a thing called tithing that we will eventually discuss where you take a little bit of your life and you lay it down. I, I started to explain to the the atheist because he had mentioned things like turtle doves. And the same exact word for turtle doves in the Old Testament, which you're supposed to sacrifice if you do certain things wrong or if you... You know, even if you don't do certain things wrong, there's a time to sacrifice a turtle dove as for a purification thing. But the sacrifice of the tur- turtle dove has nothing to do with a dove or a pigeon. It does, it's not about killing a bird. It's the same word for a piece of your estate. You have to take something that belongs specifically to you and give it up. And we, the, the same practice we see today, but people have an outward sign. They go to some churches have this, where they have this little rack of candles. And you could go and you put in money, and then you can light a match and light one of the candles. And, and the same thing was going on in the Roman temples, where every year you had to go and burn a little bit of incense. You had this physical event of burning a little piece of incense but you had to dedicate it to the recognition that Caesar was the son of God, which is a title. Again, God is a title, an office. It's a ruling judge over something or someone. You would be authority over that something or someone. We're not supposed to be ruling over one another. We want to do it all the time. And sometimes we may have to do it, like with our children. Uh, but, uh, and, and maybe with other people who can't survive on their own. They, they, they're out on the street and they need to be brought into your house, uh, in order to feed them and to care for them, give them a place to sleep. Well, you don't want to rule over them, but yet you have to set certain rules that you can't do this, you can't bring in drugs. <laughs> you know, you can't, you, you, you can't, uh, we actually had a guy here who was burning incense all the time. Of course, I realized he was burning the incense to cover up the smell of the marijuana he was smoking. <laughs> well, he had a long story, but he didn't stay here very long. But, uh, he had, I believe he was an actual murderer. <laughs> but anyway, he left, uh, thanks to the Holy Spirit. I've told that story before. But, uh, so everything is a metaphor in here. It's also talking about real events, real people, real priests that come near the Lord, like we saw in verse 22. And and that word near is is one of the words for near, which is nagash is another one from which we get the word Corbin. But this is nagash. 
So he's using a different word there. But he actually spells it different here than he does almost anywhere else in the Bible. Actually, there are a number of verses that have similar words in it. But I think actually that particular word is hey nun gimel shen yad mem, where the actual nagesh is nin nun gimel shen. It's just those three letters. But they put a hey on it and a yad and a mem. And mem has to do with flow and the yad has to do with the divine spark, which is where we touch the Holy Spirit, where we eat of the tree of life. And so, but now you want that divine spark flowing. So it's the priests who not only have an occasional moment of revelation, but have frequent moments of a revelation. Even those priests who are maybe highly esteemed amongst people who are aware, they need to sanctify themselves. And the word sanctify or consecrate is this Kadesh. Uh, but here it appears not as the normal letters, you know, Kuf, uh, Delat, Shen, which is the normal word for uh, sanctify. But it has Yad Tav at the beginning and Vav at the end. Vav usually has to do with separation. Yad, again, is that divine spark. But there's a Tav in front of that word. I mean, you can go into this greater and greater depth, but Tav is the letter of faith. So you have the divine spark based on faith. That's what's going to sanctify you. That's what's going to separate you from the world more than anything else. Uh, that that particular word shows up about five times in uh, Exodus, spelled so that you can, you know, sometimes spelled a little bit differently. We see it in Exodus. Oh, we see it in Genesis first. I guess the first place you see it is in Genesis, which is a good place to start. Uh, Genesis 2, 3. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his works which God created and made. And slightly different there where that word is but the first time we see it in Exodus is Exodus 13 too. sanctify unto me the firstborn whatsoever openeth the womb amongst the children of Israel both man and beast it is mine and I explained this before and you can go back to Exodus 13 sanctify it dedicate it so your firstborn son has to become a priest, uh, belongs to God, uh, firstborn animal has to be sacrificed. Do you have to sacrifice your son, the firstborn that openeth the womb? Um, no. Uh, it t- tells you about you can redeem your son, you can even redeem the animal with another sacrifice. Uh, you don't, you don't sacrifice your donkey. Nobody's gonna eat your donkey. But you sacrifice the firstborn of a lamb that goes to God. Well, God don't need it. And I explained already that the altars wasn't about burning up sheep. We explained that over and over again. It's not about burning up sheep. So it's about funding the social welfare system of the Israelites that will be redistributed by the priests of your society that came out with you. You know, in in Egypt, they were redistributing grain from the pharaoh. And probably even straw from the pharaoh. But he wasn't going to give that anymore. So they they had to go get it themselves. 
Well, they have no welfare but what they create in themselves. And you got thousands of people moving along. Old people, young people, people with no skills, no job. They've left their home behind. They're going to need help. How do we redistribute everything? Do you just, I just help the old women I see limping. No, you have to have an organized way to do it. This is the wings of eagles that is going to help everybody get through because you've got this system of charity. So, you have a firstborn of a lamb. That's going to go to charity. You have firstborn son. uh, Firstborn donkey. Let's go with that first. Firstborn donkey. You're not going to eat it. You don't want to kill it and set it on fire. But you can substitute something else. You can get another lamb. It's not the firstborn lamb, but it's going to redeem the firstborn donkey. You get to keep the donkey, but you got to give up the lamb to the social welfare system of your society. Now, they're going to start seeing who's doing this and who's not doing this, and they'll just recognize it. And if they're sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, they'll see it even more clearly. But he's creating an entire nation of people that are taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. If you don't dedicate your firstborn, what's the penalty? Is somebody going to fine you? Is somebody going to take your house away, take your tent away from you because you didn't obey the law? No. He's just setting the parameters. Everybody's got to be responsible for one another. So, like I said, we see this in 13.2. We see it in 19.10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. So Moses is supposed to sanctify the people. And guess what word they have there? Well, that's the where you see all these letters there laid out. But it's at Yad Kuf, Delet, Chin, Tav, Mim. So you have the Tav, Mim, but it's it, it's the flow of faith. This is how they have to live by faith, hope and charity for that flow to be a flow. That has to be a daily thing. So this, they're going down and washing not only their own clothes, but each other's clothes and helping each other out. And we see, again, the word shows up in uh, Exodus 19.14. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified. Now, it is used a little bit different in the sentence, but we don't, so we don't see the toth. We see a vav in the Yod, and the Kuf, and the Deleth, and the Shen. But we don't see the Tav. But, I tell you, it has to do with faith. Which is why in Exodus 19.22, the priests also which come near the Lord sanctify. But there you see, Yod, Tav, Kuf, Deleth, Shen, Vav. That's what separates you. It's the divine spark based on faith that separates you. It's what makes you separate. And again, we see this in Exodus 19.23, where he charges saying, bound about the mountain and sanctify it. So, they will become a mountain. But they will become this gigantic altar of clay and kings and priests. And again, we see the the same word with the Kuf Delat Shen, Tov, Bav. 
You need that faith. You need to operate by faith. In order to do that, the only way to do that practically is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start caring about one another through faith, through hope, through charity, instead of the way you've been doing it for the last generation or more, through force, fear, and fealty, which has brought you all back into the bondage of Egypt, subject to the government, owing your life and your firstborn to the government. Uh, and we show this even in Rome with birth registration. You had to register your child within 30 days. There was a law actually set up by Marcus Aurelius, Emperor of Rome, 30 days, or you could be charged with a crime if you didn't register your child. Christians didn't do that, which is why Marcus Aurelius has one of the worst human rights records, even though he was this supposedly benevolent emperor. But against Christians, they got into trouble because of that one law alone. But there were other reasons as well, which we explain in other places. In in the United States, you're supposed to register them within five days. But all this goes away if you return to the ways of Christ. But it has to be the real ways of Christ. Not the fake emotional ways of Christ. You'll see all kinds of signs and wonders in those churches too. But it's not... They're not based on faith, hope, and charity. They still go to the men who exercise authority one over the other. They call themselves benefactors. But only take away from your neighbor, which is a covetous practice, so that you can have free stuff. You you need to repent of that. You need to think differently. And this is what that is all about. So, the next show we'll be working with is, you know, Exodus 20. And that's, uh, that we're going to see all kinds of things that are brought up in that, the Sabbath day and all that. What is the Sabbath day? How do you keep it holy? Most of the people who think they're Sabbath keepers, they're not keeping it holy. They're not doing what God really meant by this. And we need to repent of that. And, but we'll save that for, we'll save that for the afternoon show. Rather than get into all that. But it, again, that one starts with, and God spake all these words saying. So it's God spake all these words. But in chapter, in verse two, we see, I am the Lord, Yadavai, the existing one, thy God. Well, we know there are a lot of other gods, but now he's talking about this existing one being the God. This is going back to the the unmoved mover, the creator of the universe, the the one who formed the law of nature, put it into place, formed us, breathed his Holy Spirit into us. Now the people are going back to that. And he's going to set out there a series of parameters that is supposed to help us understand what... And to... Mark whether or not we are on the path of that Lord, that Yahweh, and God. Are we on that path or are we off that path? So he's going to give us commandments that are signposts as to whether we are on that path or not. Everybody says, oh, you don't have to keep the commandments, you just have to believe. If you're not keeping the commandments, you don't really love Jesus. Because those who love me keep my commandments. He's telling you that. Same in James. He's saying, how do you know? Well, what they're doing. 
Well, so, of course, the evil one has to change the meaning of the words in the commandments so that graven images only become a statue. But graven images are a symbol of something you hold more important than the spiritual. Because God is spirit more than the spirit of God. That could be, your doctrines can be a graven image. Your, your, your religious group, your, your hamaka could be a graven image. Oh, you gotta have a hamaka. If you don't have a hamaka, then you, you're not one of us. You're, you're creating false religion when you start doing that. Uh, even when you start turning prayer shawls into graven images where you, you gotta have a prayer shawl. We have an article on prayer shawls. Uh, fringes. You look up the fringes at, uh, and find out, cause you're not supposed to lengthen the fringes on your prayer shawls. <laughs> so, is the, you know, or the breeches. You look up breeches. You're supposed to sew the underwear of your ministers in the Old Testament. It has nothing to do. I covered this in the, uh, video on, um, uh, yeah, with the atheist, uh, that we just put up on, uh, our, uh, YouTube channel. It has nothing to do with underwear has to do with the fact that your ministers should not be able to exercise authority over you or even over each other. You don't make all kinds of rules up for them. They're unhewn stones. They're living stones, but they're unhewn. You're not regulating them. I didn't see anybody in Jordan Peterson's Exodus, uh, ver- uh, not Exodus 8, but his his program 8. They didn't seem to get that. Of course, they didn't get the leaven. It has nothing to do with yeast. Now, yeah, you may make unleavened bread, but the bread has to do with what's going to sustain you. Making a pile of unleavened bread is just a symbol of that. It's a metaphor. You can do that. That's fine. I like unleavened bread. But if if you don't understand what the yeast really represents, you've unmoored the metaphor from the meaning of Moses. And Moses came to teach you about the Spirit of God. So that you know, am I listening to the God of creation? Or am I listening to other gods? Am I making covenants with other gods to so that I can live longer? Or am I keeping the covenant of the God of life and creation? Well, it's it's easy to tell whether people are doing this. Are they living by faith, hope, and charity? Do they love their neighbor as themselves? Or do they really love their neighbor as themselves? Do they care about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves? Are they, you know, wherever you live, whether you're in, in an apartment building or a subdivision or a trailer park or wherever... Do you actually check on your neighbors? Do you care about your neighbors? You don't have to start a neighborhood watch if you're a Christian. Because you already got one. If you're following Christ, you're already the neighborhood watch. You might have to come together to coordinate your efforts to be that neighborhood watch. And you're going to find that that's going to become more and more important (laughs) as things break down. Because... Everything broke down in Egypt eventually. The same way with when uh, Terra left Haran. Uh, Terra left Ur. 
or started getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm pretty sure that when Abraham left Iran, eventually things got worse and worse and worse. Because there are some men amongst you that are actually listening to the Holy Spirit. That are not full of anger and judgment. And they don't have to put anybody down to feel like they're okay. They actually care about other people. They don't prize their life more than the lives of others. And so they're willing to sacrifice their time, their energy, the the comforts of this life for a season like Moses, so that others might live, might see the truth. This is what these passages are about. It's not about rituals and forms. It's not about graven images and statues. It's not about pretending to love God or saying, Lord, Lord. But it's actually about doing the will of the Father. And so that's what these commandments are. We actually have a whole page on Ten Commandments and uh, go through this. And I, I believe it has audios with it and everything. But we'll go through this chapter in the afternoon show uh, of Exodus 20. And like I said, I have a page on priests, which I've added to this week. Priests of other uh, and other administers of the people. You can find it at Preparing You. I go through the word Cohen and uh, clothes of service meant to be priests to all nations. That's what Israel really was to be. And that's why you know where Israel is today, is you have to find the nation of people that are actually teaching faith, hope, and charity, and living by that faith, hope, and charity, that's Israel. If they're forcing the contributions of the people, drafting the men or even the men and women, uh, if they're, you know, not loving their enemy, uh, and, and the fact is, no matter what nation, if you're, you're seeing an actual incorporated nation somewhere, you're going to have people in there that are not far from the kingdom. But you're also going to have people that are way far from the kingdom, have more in common with the Pharisees that wanted to kill Christ, more in common with the Pharaoh, more in common with the sons of Cain, more in common with Nimrod himself than they have with Moses or Yeshua. Because Moses and Yeshua were in agreement. They were both starting systems of social welfare, but they were also both teaching you how to govern yourselves as free souls under God instead of the gods of the world. And they both require that you take back your responsibilities, not only for yourself, but for others. And they both saw that in order to do this, the best way to do this was to gather with tens, hundreds, and thousands. And let God sort out the believers and not believers. Either you, your belief isn't dependent upon what other people in your congregation believe. It depends upon your belief. And you want the love of God flowing through you on a daily basis as you administer to one another. As you minister to one another. If God's light does enter into you, it will drive out those who still love darkness. 
Because the light in your congregation will grow. But until the light in your congregation grows, we don't know whether you love the light. <laughs> so, so gather together and until then, all I can say is peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. See you on the network. Join us at Preparing You. And uh, join the network and become a part of the Living Network. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.